final months of the current decade, U.S. students received two lackluster report cards. First, in October, the National Assessment of Education Progress, otherwise known as NAEP, or the nation's report card, delivered 4th and 8th grade test results in math and reading. While scores went up or down by a few points in all categories, the results were largely unchanged compared to 2017. Then, in November, the Program for International Student Achievement, uh, otherwise known as PISA, released their results from 2018. Again, American students scored average in reading and science and below average in math. Hi, my name is Henry Kronk for eLearning Inside. This is Ed Technically. This episode, we're going to look back on the decade of the 2010s as one in which student achievement in the U.S., by some measures at least, remained largely unchanged or even declined. We're also going to look at how EdTech played a factor in this, which also saw a huge amount of investment and integration into American classrooms. So the results of these test scores led many stakeholders to issue a familiar refrain. The New York Times headline read, quote, it just isn't working. PISA test scores cast doubt on U.S. education efforts, end quote. Following the NAEP results, a group of 10 education organizations issued an agenda stating, quote, we want to express the urgency that we see with the faltering reading results and dispiriting stagnant math results, end quote. Previously in March of this year at an education policy conference, Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos said, quote, over the past 40 years, federal taxpayer spending on education has increased about 180%, amounting to over 1.2 trillion cumulatively. And yet we're still 24th in reading, 25th in science, and 40th in math when compared to the rest of the world. Doing the same thing, and more of it won't bring about new results." End quote. In other words, many comments ranged from what we're doing isn't working to spending more on education won't deliver better results. Some have voiced similar concerns about ed tech. Bloomberg ran an editorial in September arguing that, quote, classroom technology doesn't make the grade. Schools are spending billions on digital tools Students have little to show for it. In March, Forbes's Derek Newton mused, quote, what if online education simply doesn't work, end quote. And true, one might say that online education, MOOCs, online courses, etc., is distinct from edtech, but there is certainly overlap. Relating the use of EdTech in American classrooms and student achievement certainly does not afford for many concrete conclusions, if any at all. But they, again, they're related, and one could say that the 2010s were characterized by massive deployment of EdTech into primary and secondary schools, along with the lackluster scores. Americans have invested and spent huge sums to deploy EdTech in classrooms. EdTech developers raised a collective $1.45 billion in 2018 alone. That was a record year at the time. It's looking like 2019 is going to break that record again. 
In the same piece quoted above, Bloomberg valued the American and European edtech market at over $100 billion. So, after such a history of average and more or less unchanging test scores and huge investment of edtech in deployment in classrooms, are these claims true? Have these taxpayer dollars and otherwise spent on public education and edtech been spent in vain? No one, of course, has been able to definitively and convincingly answer in the affirmative or negative. But there are several points to raise that compromise the conclusion that American public education and or the impacts of edtech are hopelessly mediocre. We've got three points below. The first of them is that inequality is growing in U.S. schools. So American students have not been as consistent as the basic NAEP test scores indicate. Inequality has grown significantly at schools in terms of academic achievement and far outstrips that witnessed in other countries. The PISA results, for example, for low-performing students remains the same as what it was 30 years ago. American educators have managed to raise the bar for the top and middle portion of their classes, but can't shake the lowest common denominator. And the average of that spread delivers the results that we have. Again, average or slightly below average. Furthermore, common wisdom indicates that some schools, like certain charters, those in wealthier districts, or specially designated magnets, manage to educate their learners better. They've got better funding, draw more inspired educators, or maybe they just have some special mojo coming out of the water fountains. But the PISA test scores firmly disprove this idea. As the Heshinger reports, Jill Barzi writes, quote, the vast majority of education inequality in America is inside each school, according to PISA test score reports. Statisticians mathematically teased out inequality between schools versus within each school and found that in the U.S., only 20% of the variation in student performance is between schools. The remaining 80% is inside each school. In other words, the academic achievement spreads from the lowest to the top performers. Those are most radical within schools compared to between them. Now, Jill Barzi got in touch with a couple of experts and explains this phenomenon in far more depth in her weekly column, Proof Points. To be sure, uh, income inequality is also growing outside of schools. This year it reached a record high since the Census Bureau began tracking it. The second point that problematizes the broad conclusions that what we're doing isn't working is that the U.S. certainly isn't nor can it be the only average or below average country. It turns out that many other countries, often those with smaller scales of education systems, also struggle to improve their students' test scores and conduct a fair amount of hand-wringing every time they fail to do so. In New Zealand, students tested above average in reading and math, but the country has been on a downward trajectory in terms of international rankings. The latter fact was trumpeted over the former by New Zealand media. What's more, people often focus on the relative rankings before uh, the actual performance of their students uh, when it comes to actual averages. 
For example, the UK scored just worse than the US in reading. But the BBC still celebrated the fact that the UK had been on an upward trajectory relative to that of other countries. Third point, standardized tests are not gold standards of assessment. While many education stakeholders and members of the public take the results of the PISA and the NAEP assessments to be ironclad, there is a healthy debate about their methodology and communication details among experts and researchers. A 2016 methodological critique of PISA found that the test exhibited, quote, an inconsistent rationale, opaque sampling, unstable evaluative design, measuring instruments of questionable validity, opportunistic opportunistic use of scores transformed by standardization, reverential confidence in statistical significance, and absence of substantively significant statistics centered on the magnitude of effects, a problematic presentation of findings and questionable implications drawn from the findings for educational norms and practice, end quote. Sorry about that laundry list, but I mean, it's extensive. What's more, many have taken issue with the communication employed by NAEP. What, for example, does proficiency actually mean? The Brookings Institute's uh, Tom Loveless described the common misconception that the term proficiency indicates performing at grade level. He writes, quote, proficient on NAEP means competency over challenging subject matter. This is not the same thing as being on grade level, which refers to performance on local curriculum and standards. NAEP is a general assessment of knowledge and skills in a particular subject. Equating NAEP proficiency with grade level is bogus. Indeed, the validity of the achievement levels themselves is questionable. They immediately came under fire in reviews by the U.S. Government Accountability Office, the National Academy of Sciences, and the National Academy of Education. And Loveless provides some hyperlinks there. Still going, the National Academy of Sciences report was particularly scathing, labeling NAEP's achievement levels as quote unquote, fundamentally flawed, end quote. To conclude, many members of the public make it seem like statements regarding the failure of EdTech in education policy are fact and not opinion. In many cases, these discussions require more nuance and understanding. Sounding the alarm isn't necessarily the most appropriate response. There's no doubt that American public education and its use of ed tech have a great deal of room for growth. Some students in some districts in some schools, many in fact, are filled by the institutions that should be serving them on a daily basis. But for others, also many, the current situation is working, especially as highlighted by Jill Barzi's column. Certain groups of students are showing strong growth. It might be more productive for the public to seek ways to grow this progress to everyone and not to demonize the teachers, administrators, ed tech developers, and policymakers that have delivered the results in the first place. This has been Ed Technically. My name is Henry Kronk. I work as the editor of eLearning Inside. If you like this episode, please rate and review. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe. 
Also, please keep in mind that this show is available as a video on our YouTube channel and also as a podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. The basic content for this video first appeared as an article on eLearning Inside. If you'd like to hear more about online courses, technology in the classroom, and edtech in general, please check out our site. If you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to send an email to henry at elearninginside.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, at elearninginside. Thanks for listening.